I called you to focus on something and I asked you a question. I made the statement, you and I have one life to live and one life to give. Think about that. You have one life to live and one life to give. And then I asked the question, do you honestly know that what you are doing right now with your one life is what you should be doing? Do you honestly have a vision from your maker, your creator, and are you living on that vision and on mission on a weekly, on a daily, weekly, and monthly, yearly even, basis to fulfill that vision he has for you? Do you know that you're doing with your one life what you should be doing with it? Wow, that's a huge question, isn't it? That's a question that takes a little time to unpack and a little time to answer for each of us. I hope you begin to ask yourself that question. I hope you begin to ask yourself that question in prayer because there are things that have to happen to renew our vision for life. And, and sometimes when we start the new year, we begin to think about those things. But it's important to think about what Scripture leads us to in trying to develop a, a, a godly vision and to renew the vision we even have. Because that vision more than likely needs to grow and to change. So I want to come back to a couple things. And here we'll have up on the board behind me, we have a definition of mission. And let's just talk about how mission and vision interact with one another. A mission is your general overall purpose, right? It's your purpose for life. It's your purpose for relationships. It's your purpose for your work, your ministry. It's your target. It's what you're shooting for. It's your goal. And if God, your creator, has given it to you, it's going to stay the same. Do you realize that? Your mission will stay the same. Jesus said in John 7, 17, 4, he said this, that his mission was to bring glory to God by completing the work God gave him to do. You can't say that unless you believe God has specific work he wants you to do. But we know that the rest of the apostles believed that too and understood that because Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 that we are all works of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's a target. There's a target. Jesus even knew it at 12 years old that there was a target, right? Because he was left in the temple. His parents didn't know he, he wasn't with them when they left, and so he was there for two days before they came back and found him. They were good parents. <laughs> but could you imagine a kid that young staying in the city away from his family for two days? But when they found him in the temple, what did he say? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I have a purpose. I have a mission. I have to be about that. What is that business? Well, we find out in Luke chapter 19.10 that the, part of his business, it was to complete the work back in John, to complete the work God gave him to do. And then it was also to destroy the works of the devil. And then here in Luke chapter 19.10, it says, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus knew, that's my, my mission. I'm here to complete the work God's given me to do. I'm here to destroy the work of the evil one. And I'm here to seek and to save 
the lost. There's my target. There's my mission. It's never going to change. It's never going to change. But we know that his vision did change. Because there are the path that we go on takes turns, rights and lefts and ups and downs. And that's where vision comes into play. Our vision will change as we go forward in our walk with the Lord. Our vision at the present is the path that we are to be on to fulfill our mission at this point in time, in this season, at this age, in this stage of life. Do you see that? So we have that up on the board. You can switch to that too. So you can begin to write that down if you need to, but you can look at it. A vision is your answer to how and why. It's, it's the, why are you doing what you're doing? How are you doing what you're doing? It gives reasons, it gives boundaries, it's, it's, it gives shapes for your actions, your choices, your hopes, your dreams, your desire. Your vision fills your daily and weekly activities with meaning and direction and purpose. That's what your vision does. See, when we came to Christ, our mission changed and our vision changed, amen? What was your mission before you came to Christ? What was your vision before you came to Christ? Well, I can tell you that my mission and my vision were probably a little like your mission and vision. My mission was, my target was, I want, I want to complete my works. I want to do everything I want to do. That would have been my mission. Amen? And... And in addition to that, my mission would have been to do everything I want to do and not have anybody stand in my way. I would have had a vision then to live my life that way, which was get up in the morning and work excessively. I would take the job that paid the most because I wanted to make the most so that I could get what I wanted and do the things that I wanted. So my, I, that's what I would do, is I would take that job. The worst job, but the job that paid the best. So I could live for myself and get what I wanted. Right? And I wanted to then, on top of it, I wanted to love people, but I used people to get to where I wanted to get. And so my life took on that shape. If you stood in my way, you were a problem. If you join me, then that's great, but don't slow me down. And don't get in my way, because I don't want anybody raining on my parade. Amen? And that's how I lived my life. Maybe that's how you lived your life. What was your mission? What was your vision? But when I came to Christ, all that went away. I said, okay, Lord, I have been a horrible God. You were God. And I accept you. It's going to be your way, not my way anymore. I repent of my sin. I repent of the evilness that I've had in my life. Uh, I submit to you, your God. And so I submitted to the work he called me to. That changed my life. I didn't spend my life just chasing money, chasing dreams, chasing achievements and accolades, because that was up there too. I had all, I had all sorts of goals like that. I didn't do that anymore. I submitted them to Jesus. People would ask me, oh, Kelly, you jock. 
You're a football player, right? That's your identity? I would say no in high school. Because I go, I've changed. My identity is I'm a son of God. I'm a believer. Those things are secondary. They're servants to the one I serve. My life had changed. And you go, wow, how could you do that as a high school student? Well, you can understand that as a high school student. It's understandable. You got the wrong target. This is God's mission on earth, to seek and to save the lost, to give us a new mission, and then to give us a new vision for our lives. Amen? And so, when we come to Christ, our mission changes, but also our vision changes. How do I lay out my day? How do I lay out my week? How do I lay out what I spend my money on and what I don't spend my money on? How do I lay out what I do? I had to do a lot of repenting, you know? I used to frequent and play cards all the time and win money and, and use work people to make money. And the Lord said, you're done with that. You're, you're in the light and you're to tell the truth and you're to use my resources to my glory. Trust in me, not in yourself and not in your ability to win in games of chance. Trust in me. And I had to let that go and walk away from that so that I could live a different life with a different vision to hit a different target. Amen? But that's how God takes us all. He takes us on that journey. And so our vision has to constantly be renewed because we don't have it all when we first come to Christ. We know that we, we can see the target. He's called us to do the works that we've been created to do. He's called us to destroy the works of the devil in our own life as well as others and in our world. He's called us to seek and to save the lost. He's called us to make disciples. You got that. We've talked about that all the time. That's your mission. But it's this vision part of it. This vision part of it. That's where we get stuck because we're not always allowing God to renew our vision. We're not staying in step with him. So we want to stay in step with him. So we've talked a lot about that. You can see why vision is so important. It clarifies your path. It gives you the possibility to keep growing and living a simpler, more happy, more meaningful, more successful, more righteous, and more on target life. But it's your choice. It's my choice. Are we following God's vision? Well. We want to look at the second part of the story this morning. And we want to go back to the scripture that we looked at last week. And man, this scripture is overflowing with lessons and encouragements to us about having a godly vision and about renewing the vision for our lives. And so if we want to really walk in that, let's let this, this whole chapter, Acts chapter 10, sink into us. Because it's a turning point for the church. It's a turning point for some of these believers that are involved in this as well. And it could be a turning point for you and me. So if you've got a Bible, I'm not gonna, we're not going to be able to put it up on the screen because I've only got the second part of this passage on the screen. So we're not turning to that yet. But you can turn to your Bible and take a look at where we had been as we considered what lessons can we learn for renewing our vision in our lives. The very first lesson that we learned was what? We need to walk closely with God in humble prayer. That almost sounds elementary, but we found that to be true. Why did we find it to be true? Because the two main characters in our story, 
Cornelius, who is an Italian centurion in the Roman uh, regiment. He, he's one man that's in it, but he's devout. He's a seeker after God. He's not necessarily a proselyte to Judaism, but he is a, he's considered a God-fearer. And he is in prayer, worshiping the Lord. He is a giver of his alms. He is seeking to be righteous, but he's in prayer when what? He has a vision, and an angel speaks to him and meets him. It happened in prayer. Peter, an apostle, he's also in prayer. He's at a different time. Cornelius was in prayer at 3 in the afternoon when the angel came to him. Peter, was. it was noon. He's waiting for the food and lunch to be prepared. He doesn't have an angel come to him, but while he's praying, he gets a video presentation with a voice, right? And he sees this thing three times. And this vision says what? It says to him, he sees this sheep being let down with all these four-footed animals, but also reptiles and insects. So he had clean and unclean animals together. That was not good to a Jew, because God had required that they only eat clean food. To eat unclean food is to make yourself unholy, and therefore not prepared or qualified to worship the Lord. You had to make yourself, through ritual, holy again before you could worship the Lord or come into the temple. And so to a Jew, he goes, no. But this voice says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Peter goes, ah, he resists. I have never eaten anything unclean. And I'm not gonna do that, this can't be right, this can't be from God. Well then the voice says, Peter, do not call anything unclean that I have called clean. Do not do it. So that's Peter's first round. But we noticed that Peter had to learn this, you know, he needed more than one round and more than one lesson. And so the same vision comes two more times, exactly the same. Sheets let down, Peter, come kill and eat. Do not call unholy what I have called holy. And God had something he was trying to say to him. And it was greater than just the food. Even though food has a lot to do about who we fellowship with. Right? It really had to do with the fact that as a Jew, he could no longer call Gentiles unclean. Because if God came into their life, as he came into Peter's life, that made them clean. And they were brothers, and the barrier between them was taken away. And so, Peter had to learn that. But, it kept, but as you travel through this first part of the story, you see the Lord continuing to speak. He spoke again to Peter. Hey, listen, uh, this angel told Cornelius to send, to go to Jaffa and get this guy named Peter and bring him back, and he'll talk to you and tell you what's next. Didn't reveal at all. And so that's what Cornelius did immediately. He sent some of his guard, and they went to get Peter. Well, Peter didn't know anything about it, but he's had this vision, and he's wondering about this vision. And while he's still wondering about this vision, the Lord speaks to him again and says, Peter, you need to go downstairs. There are three men that are going to show up, and you need to go with them because I have sent them to you. Well, see, Peter's getting it by now. He's... He was objecting earlier, but God has broke down his resistance by giving him a process and allowing him to understand 
and grow in that understanding. And so Peter is now prepared, and he hears the knock at the door. Knock at the door. These people have come, and he goes down to greet them. And that brings us to where we are today. But it all happened because he was in prayer. It all happened because Cornelius was in prayer. These men, their lives were organized and surrounded around prayer. Right? You heard me say that the Jews had all these different prayer times throughout the day. We don't necessarily have to have as many prayer times as they had, but we have to organize our life around prayer. Organize our life around our relationship with God. We need to stay in humble prayer to have our vision renewed. We have to stay in humble prayer. The second thing is, is we've got to meditate on God's word and obey it. And we've got to meditate on its promises and obey them. That's what these guys had to do. They kept getting words from the Lord. They had to obey. They had to receive them. What if they would have stopped? What if, what if, you know, what if Cornelius would have had this great vision and then not do it, did anything with it? That would be nonsense, wouldn't it? Why even say that you're a God-filler follower or a God-fearer if you're not going to do what he asks you to do? Like Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I've asked you to do? It doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's, it's BS is what it is, isn't it? Come on. I'm not being too earthy for you, am I? Right? And we don't want to do that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So we've got to meditate with, with the idea of obeying what we hear and what's promised to us. And so these men kept doing that. But had they chose to stop, had they chose to stop in the process and say, uh-uh. Peter tried, right? He said, no, Lord, I won't do that. That's not right. But God kept after him, and then finally Peter said, okay. And then when, Peter, then when God spoke to him again and said, go downstairs and go with these men because I have sent them, Peter was now obeying immediately because God had taken him through a school of obedience. How important that is for us in our vision for life, to be obedient to the Lord, to listen to the Lord. But... So we know that God understands how we're made. So he'll approach us in a way that we need. Cornelius was different than Peter, and so that's why he approached these men differently. He understands our personality and how we're wired. He knows how to, to show us his will. God's good about that, plus he's caring enough to do that. And then he's caring enough to emphasize what he really wants done. And he'll do that if we will humble ourselves before him in prayer, if we will humble ourselves to listen, we can be assured, just as these men heard from the Lord, we can hear from him, and God will communicate what he wants from us. But there's another important lesson that I feel that the Lord has directed me to talk about um, that coincides with this, this point and in this area. Um, man, we know that we're to walk closely with God in humble prayer, and we're to meditate on and have a heart to obey God's word and promises. But, but here I'm here to tell you, and, I, and I'll, I'll bet you'll go, yeah, I, I get it. You know, we're to do that because we don't change, and we don't find, or, or we don't find the inspiration 
to change without our imaginations being captivated, without our heart being touched. Do you get that? I'm going to say that again. People don't change just because they know what's right to do. Amen? Oh, come on. We all have good intentions and we know what's right to do. and We don't do anything about it, don't we, sometimes? Because what has to happen is, and God knows this, our imaginations have to be captivated. They do. That's why God will speak to people in visions or in dreams. You ever had a dream that was super vivid to you? And man, when you woke up, you were motivated, man. Or, or you were scared spitless because you thought it was real. Or you were, you know, it motivates. When you see something in your mind's eye, you're inspired or you're motivated or you're challenged and you're ready to fight or you're whatever, but it, you get off dead center. Amen? And so you have to have that or you have to have your heart. We know things here, but our heart has to be touched. Our heart has to be touched. We've got to hear it here. That's why I push meditation of God's word so much. Because it drives truth deeper into your soul until ultimately the spirit can speak and he applies it to your life and it hits your heart. It's no longer just rolling around here. It hits your heart. So I am very cognizant of the fact, and I hope you are too, that you and I are not going to change. You and I are not going to renew our vision unless somehow the Spirit captivates our imagination because we're open to it. And somehow He touches our hearts. It's just not going to happen. You're going to stay the same, and I am too. And in 2024, we're going to come back here and we're going to be no much, not much different. So I'm here to challenge you and me Pray for each other. Pray for yourself and ask God to speak to your imagination and captivate it. Ask God to touch your heart and move the truths that you have in your life into your heart. Because until it happens, nothing changes. But that's what was happening here. That's why these men were acting and they were changing. Did I go far enough with that? Was that good enough, Joe? Did I go far enough? All right, I'm done. So here you have the Apostle Peter again, and we're going to move on into the next phase. And I only have one point today, so don't worry, I can get it done. <laughs> Amen. But you have the Apostle Peter here again, and these guys are growing right before our eyes. They are changing. Their life vision is changing. They still know their mission, but their vision is changing right before our eyes. And so you've got Peter, and you've got this Gentile man named Cornelius. And they possess the qualities that we've talked about that are necessary for renewed vision and keeping us on life vision on life mission and they're expanding and they're changing so let's hear what happens next and i want you to if you've got a bible to open it let's read it if not you can read with me up on the board it says then peter invited these men into the house to be his guest that's major that don't happen not in this society but it happened here and we'll talk more about that later the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. You know, that was kind of smart, because you're doing something very innovative. What in the world is a Jew doing inviting Gentiles into their house? That was scandalous. And now you're going to go to meet a Gentile and probably go into his house to speak to him. 
Now that is craziness. So he's bringing along, it says, if you look in scripture, it was probably about six other guys. Because they're going to verify what went on. And later on in the book of Acts, they're going to be witnesses to help people to embrace this new change in the church and the church's mission. Do you get it? So it was smart of him to bring these guys along. And it's probably smart of you that if God's doing something new and drastic in your life, let other people know about it. Let them be praying for you, supporting you, and walking with you to make those changes. Amen? Let's keep going. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together all his relatives and close friends. This Cornelius is something, man. Okay, God's doing something. I'm getting everybody in on this. As Peter entered the house, he'd never done that before. That's new. That's huge. He'd never in his life done that before. He never in his life had he welcomed people into his house, but now he's entered into a Gentile's house. Peter entered the house. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. I love that. There's a whole lot there too, but I'm not going to go into it. Let's keep going. While talking with him, Peter went inside, and he found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for... I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? Do you see that? God only gives part of the vision because he's calling us to walk by faith. We've got to keep walking by faith. We've got to keep allowing our vision to be renewed as we walk in faith. Peter had to here, and it goes on. Cornelia answered, and he tells him about his vision and why he called him. So we're going to skip that, and I'm going to skip down to verse 34. Then Peter, well, hold on here again. Then Peter began to speak to them. I now realize, just then, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now know. I now accept it. I now realize it. I now know it. The church has changed right before our eyes. Before this time, you know, Gentiles just, there were certain things that happened and certain things that occurred, but they had no idea how to embrace them into the church, how to do evangelism among the Gentiles, how to make them active partners in leadership and a part of the church. But right here, that all changed. Now, God is beginning to build his vision for how to do that. And he's going to use these Jews to begin that. And these Gentiles as well. Wow. That's huge. I want you to notice something. This is the other thing we want to get from this passage. And, and, I, and I can't keep going on because then you're going to find out how Peter begins to explain his mission and the gospel, and then what happens with those people as they hear the gospel. But we're going to talk about that next week. And, and I won't give as big of an intro as I did this week. 
But here we find that Peter was willing to re-examine his traditions and his prejudices in light of God's word. He was willing to share God's heart for a lost world. Think about you. What about you and me? Are you willing to re-examine your traditions and your prejudices in light of God's word? I'm not talking about your traditions and prejudices just in the church, but in your own family, in your own relationships, in your own lives. Your routines, your habits. Are you willing to re-examine those things? in light of God's word, and to realize that maybe some of them need to be revisited. Peter, prior to God's vision and revelation to him while in prayer, he was up on the roof. If, if he didn't have that revelation up on that roof, he would have probably treated these Gentile visitors like any other Orthodox Jew would have treated them. He would have talked to them at the doorway. He would have kept them out in the street. Once they were done, he would have said, down the road is a hotel, you can catch lodging, and then we'll talk some more later. That's how he would have treated them. That's how he would have acted. Let alone inviting them into his home, let alone then eating with them, so that they touch the same utensils and food, and then entertain them as guests, where he fellowshiped with them. That was huge. And if he never had that vision, never heard that from God, never had the willingness to re-examine, even though it was a challenging thing for him, his traditions and his prejudices, he never would have done that. Never would have done that. However, Peter went even further. He even went even further in faith in examining his own prejudices, his own beliefs, because he went to Caesarea and then he entered a Gentile's house. That was huge. Verses 28 through 29 tell us again, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. I know I am breaking a law I have always lived under right now. That's what I'm doing. And it, it's, it could have cost him dearly, and it probably did cost him some, in his own social gatherings and in his community. He goes, but God has shown me that I, I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections because I know what my mission is. I know what my target is. And so my vision for life has to come in line with that. And he was willing to let it change. Again, he was willing to, to re-examine. On a bit of a other side note, though, I've got to throw this in here because it's just really kind of cool a little bit. Centuries before, there was another Jew who uh, was commissioned to take a message from God to Gentiles in Nineveh. You know who that, 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 that uh, prophet was, right? Jonah. He came to Joppa, but what did he do when he came to Joppa? He got on a boat to go the other way. He was going to disobey and resist God's will and plan, and then you know how that ended, right? I don't think I would have wanted to be where he was. Right? Man, he refused to obey God's call. And you know what he refused to obey God's call to? Simply to hospitality. 
to hospitality. You don't know how, how huge that is in renewing your vision, how huge that is in living out a godly vision for your life. Jonah didn't share God's heart for the lost. He didn't at that point. In the lost Gentile nation he was sent to, rather he ran from his call. He thought he could get away from the Lord. He thought he could get away with not changing and not repenting, but you can't. Either If you're going to follow the Lord, you either follow him and continue to change and repent, or you declare that you're not going to be a follower of the Lord. And that's not the target you're after. See, it's just, there's, it's silly to dance around in middle ground. What about you and me? Are we running from hospitality? Are we running from repentance and change? Do you and I do that? I'm here this morning. If you're running and you know you're running, I want to simply tell you, like personally, quit running. I know that's not going to cause you to quit running. Go to the Lord in prayer and humble yourself. Meditate on his word and ask him to touch your imagination and your heart so you can actually change and quit running. Wow. Some of us are more like Peter. Some of us are more like Jonah, aren't we? And that's what we are. But I'm here to define hospitality for you. And we have it up on the screen here. And you can write this in your notes or take a picture of it. But hospitality is basically treating strangers and friends alike. Hospitality is treating strangers and friends alike. It is welcoming another person into your home, but also into your life. Not just your home, but into your life. Hospitality is a sacred duty, and there is a sacredness in welcoming another person into your home. And we've been called to that as followers of Christ. There's so much more to this notion of biblical hospitality as we practice it, and we need to explore that a little bit. And so I want to walk through some of the elements of it. Here's the, if you're going to be hospitable, you welcome everyone you meet. Reexamine your life and your traditions. Are you a person that welcomes everyone you meet? Or do you keep them at an arm's length? Do you kind of, no, I don't have to. It literally means to figuratively and literally welcome everyone you meet. You and I have been called to do that. We are, the amba we are ambassadors for Christ. And that should be a part of our, our vision. Number two, we're to engage people. If you are going to show hospitality, you do that. You engage others with a mindset of being Jesus to them. Not just inviting them to church, not just inviting them to a church function, but being open and genuine with them instead of shutting down or pacifying or being fake. Right? We're to engage people. Trying to be Jesus to them. If we're going to be on, on vision, on mission with them. Third thing is, we've got to make meals a priority with other people. Sometimes we need to start by just making meals a priority in our own family so that we show hospitality. It's not just to, to have certain leaders or whatever together, but it's to entertain one another, entertain people who are lost, entertain neighbors. Um, we gotta make meals with others a priority. And then finally, we gotta pay attention to others. Um, it's amazing to me 
sometimes how much people don't pay attention to other people. And they don't pay attention when they have an opportunity to get stuff. Boy, in my family, that was never allowed. And if I were to be my salty me, I'd sometimes say, hey, look at me and listen to me. Because that's it. You keep your eyes on people and you listen to them because it's a sign of respect and honor. We feel like, ah, whether I pay attention or not, that's really kind of up to me. Well, God's not called you to do that. He's called you to be hospitable to other people. And that means paying attention to their conversation, paying attention to their needs. Uh, instead of always wanting other people to listen to you and your needs, it's to put them first over you. That's hospitality. You don't bring people into your home and then ask them to serve you, right? It's, you bring them into your home so you can serve them. That's hospitality. So throughout the Bible, hospitality was considered a top-tier attribute of believers seeking to live out a godly vision. So I'm here to challenge you with that. In 1 Peter 4, 9, Peter instructs later for people, he says, to be hospitable to all believers. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would Peter put that in? Because he knows that people are going to gripe about it. That's our human nature. But he wants us to grow beyond that. Show people hospitality without grumbling. Take them in. Welcome them. Make them feel that sense of warmth. Spend time with them. Accept them. Romans 12, 13, Paul had similar instruction. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You want a new idea that's just going to light your vision for the future up? Show hospitality. Some would say, and myself included, after walking with God in humble prayer, after meditating on his word and his promise to you, the next missional step for us, if we're going to renew our life and our ministry, is hospitality. Being hospitable to one another. And we have a very warm, welcoming church. We do. But if we're going to reach other people, we have to continue to extend that warmth and that acceptance to others. We've got, to, we've got to let it roll. Our role is to accept love and share, which is hospitality. God's role is to change people into his image. So no matter what a person's story is, when they come into our midst, I hope they find warm acceptance. They find a place where they can belong and be with other people. Now that gets messy, doesn't it? Think about that. If we're going to accept other people, Think about it if we're going to open our homes. That's going to get a little messy. One, maybe our house, we, we don't feel good about our house because it's messy. So we may have to do a little work to prepare our house to have guests in it. Well, that'll give you a renewed vision for the future in 2023. Amen? God's calling you to that. So that you can feel confident in welcoming others in. But I'm here to tell you, I have felt tremendous hospitality extended to me in a home, in the city, not this city, but in a city where people don't live like that, it had dirt floors. It had iguanas and other things in cages and little guns sitting over to the side. But I had never felt so warm and welcomed in all my life. I'm glad they liked me <laughs> and my wife. <laughs> they kept checking the window a lot, I know that, but 
I better not go on, huh? But they showed us some great hospitality. So it, things don't have to be perfect to show hospitality. But, but we have to show it. But it can get messy. It gets messy. But how are we going to reach people for Jesus and meet them where they are if we tell them, well, you've got to clean up and change first? No. We've got to tell them, hey, you're welcome as you are. You come as you are, but don't stay that way. Because there's a gospel and there's a Lord who wants to change your life and heal you. He wants to forgive you and redeem you, and he wants to put your life on a new trajectory, give you a new mission and a new vision. And we have to call them to that. You're supposed to live your life differently, and you can, because you have a new mission, and because the Lord is real and the Lord is present. But we welcome people. How messy did Peter make it? for all of his other brothers and the other elders and apostles in Jerusalem by him not only welcoming the Gentiles into his home, but then going into a Gentile's home in Caesarea. He made things messy. I'm here to tell you. And they were a little perturbed at him. How messy did it, was it to actually bring Gentiles into the churches that were meeting in synagogues? How messy was that? Majorly messy. What a pain in the rear. How messy was it learning how to evangelize Gentiles and not just Jewish believers? Because Jewish believers were expected to live differently. Still live like a Jew in many respects. But Gentiles didn't do that at all. So how do you bring them in? And how do you have a Gentile leader in the church when you have Jews worshiping underneath them? Do you know that the church began to struggle with all these questions? from this point on for hundreds of years. Because it was messy. But because of it, the church grew. And the gospel was preached. Because the gospel was always to go out to everyone who would believe. And the Jews were always to be a light to the Gentiles, not be a judge to the Gentiles. They just didn't know it. But then with Jesus, they began to know it. So, are you willing to get messy? Are you willing to be challenged like that? You want your vision renewed? You want to have more impact for the Lord and, and be able to have a faith that, that is more real and more vibrant? You want to get on, on, on mission with Jesus? Become hospitable in every way and every form. I'm going to leave you with a few questions as we close this morning. How is the Holy Spirit of God wanting to renew the vision for your life and ministry through hospitality today, this week, and this year? God, I hope, is speaking to your heart regarding that. Hospitality. Two, a person expressing hospitality puts the needs and well-being of others above their own. They seek to serve above being served. Who, right now, are you unwilling to serve? You know, we have a great need. We're getting more and more kids in our, our kids' ministry. But there are so few people that work, actually, in the kids' ministries that there's a real need right now. Um, I could honestly say that I can feel sometimes I'm unwilling to serve there. But I kind of feel like maybe God wants me to do some things to serve there. Because I do want to serve those little disciples. I want them to know about this mission and this vision for their lives. I want to know, I want them to know they're worth it. 
But we need other people to catch that vision too and change their life and their schedule so they can serve them. That's only if God's calling you to do that. So ask God, is he calling you? You know, our youth ministry is growing. Do you know that we have anywhere from 20 to 30 youth on a regular basis here? Yeah. But we have leaders that have worked a long time there. They may need some other people to come alongside them. It's going to get messy. You heard about middle schoolers where they like to drink. I love middle schoolers. <laughs> I was a middle school pastor for years, so I love that. I think that's so classic. Maybe you're called to be hospitable toward them. And, and then it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Because God's calling us to be hospitable. Where can we gather and accept one another? Where can we join in small groups, in our gatherings? Uh, that's all about hospitality. So who are you unwilling to serve? Who are you unwilling to reach out to in our church? Or who are, or is God calling you to reach out to in fellowship outside our church? But you're kind of unwilling to do that. And then finally, how might your life and ministry change for the better if you actually showed up where God wanted you to be? Showed up with the people group God wanted you to be with. If you openly engaged other people in your life and welcomed others attentively without holding back, how would your life and ministry change? Oh my gosh. How will you seek to show hospitality because of this word today? Because I hope you can see that a lot of the changes hinged on a willingness to be hospitable. And without it, this major change in the church does not go forward. I hope you see that. So we're called to that, and I think that that will bring a major change on how, how effective we are in reach others for Jesus. Simply being hospitable. So I want you to stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord God, we know and you know that we're, we are a bunch of well-meaning people. And we do have a heart to want to love you and love others. But God, you know we're just human beings. We are who we are. And, uh, and we need you, Lord. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would cause us to get into this passage beyond this day. That you'd cause us to learn to lean towards you and reevaluate our lives. And the vision that we have erected for our lives. God, indeed, is, is our vision your vision? Are we about our Father's business? Uh, help us to be able to see that. Help us to celebrate where we're on and to know that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ, that, that you just love us. You only want our best, but you want our obedience because our obedience is best. And it brings the best change, both for us and to others. So, Lord Jesus, we want your kingdom to come in a greater way on earth as it is in heaven. So start within us. Start within our obedience to your word. Help us to take the steps we're to take to, to love and to welcome the people that you've placed before us. To open our homes even. Or to be open in sharing with others in their homes. Um, 
God, give us a heart, a renewed heart, for other people to make disciples and other people who are lost to seek them that they might be saved. God, uh, make us infectious like that because we are hospitable people who always have our door open, always have our lives open, and are living for you and living to, to express your light to other people. Help us to be that lamp set in, in the middle of, of the room that gives light to all instead of covering it and saving it for only a few. Lord, bless us, we pray. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for the, the message of your word today. We thank you for uh, this hospitable gathering that has come and accepted us how we are. But thank you that your spirit is going to bring conviction so that you can bring renewal into our lives. We receive it in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it, Lord. And we all said together, Amen. Amen.